Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Ireland Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Fred Brown. Fred is the CEO with Ergo Capital. He's joining us for the purposes of our Aviation Leaders Report. I should say we're recording this in early January. Fred, thanks again for joining us. Um, before we get into the meat of the conversation, do you want to tell our watchers a little bit about Ergo Capital? Hi, Joe, and thanks for having me on your program. Um, yeah, just to give you a brief summary of Ergo's history since 1999 when the company was founded. Basically, it was founded by myself and a, uh, an entrepreneur called Dennis O'Brien um, based out of Dublin. Um, <clears throat> so essentially, we've, we've three phases um, over that last 22 years. Um, the first being 1999, 2014. We basically were a very heavy trading mentality type company. We bought over 200 aircraft, including actually buying Safair, which at the time was Africa's largest lessor at the time. Um, essentially, we're doing 737 Classics, MD-80s. And obviously, look, those airplanes were aging. So towards the end of 2010, 11, we, we decided to sell down most of these aircraft. So by 2014, we went from you know 110 planes at our peak around the 2009 period down to around, believe it or not, 11 planes with only a fleet value of 30 million by the time we got to 2014, which essentially brought us to our next phase, which is the 2014 to 2019 period. So enter Carval um, and their head of transportation, who very good um, contact of mine, Justin Bradbourne. Um, and we essentially worked out that obviously at the relatively low level of aircraft we're at, we need to transition to newer mainstream aircraft which needed lots of capital. Um, Carval were an excellent fit. Uh, Dennis O'Brien exited and Carval took 90% and I took a 10% stake in the, in, in the enterprise going forward. So <clears throat> with the capital and <clears throat> the team, we rapidly built up um, basically a mainly midlife fleet of approximately 80 aircraft by the time we entered 2017. Now at that point in time, we felt you know, that you know, the, the market, lots of blue skies, you know, everyone was talking about super cycles and all that kind of stuff. So we kind of thought, well, look, it's, it's time to um, <clears throat> sell down uh, some of these aircraft. So we basically took a very deliberate strategy um, to, as they sell down while the sun was shining. So we did that via an ABS. And secondly, just essentially trading um, with other lessors in the market. So that brought us um, essentially into the third phase of Ergo's life, which is 2019 to present. So because of that sell down I just mentioned, um, we entered the pandemic with only 80 owned, with only 20 owned aircraft down from, from 80. So it was a huge sell down and obviously <laughs> we looked pretty good because going into the pandemic, we, we were very slim. Um, a lot of our competitors, you know, I think had to deal with many more COVID related restructurings and things than we did. So in fact, COVID ended up being a great opportunity for us to expand Ergo and what was rapidly becoming a very distressed aviation market. So we did a range of deals um, emphasizing our ability to, to trade across, you know, all aircraft types in the aircraft in the aviation spectrum. So to give you an example, we did um, 11 brand new Maxes, which we placed with Lion and Lynx in Canada. We did two almost new 787s and an A350 with Singapore Airlines. And then at the under end of the scale, we, we bought you know, 20x um, Flybe Q400s and 
you know, over the last kind of 18 months, we've placed them in various airlines around the world. And then obviously <clears throat> our bread and butter, multiple 737, 800s and, and A320s. And then, you know, in addition, another very important development was we, we set up a, an asset management business from, from scratch. So, you know, it's a business we kind of always wanted to be in, i.e. managing other people's third-party assets, aircraft assets. Um, now, not an easy business to get into when the sun's shining, but obviously once the pandemic hit, you know, there was multiple distressed situations, you know, ranging from Norwegian, Avianca, Latam, et cetera. So between Ergo's organic origination of 89 aircraft, which we've done in the last uh, two and a half years, you probably read that we uh, recently acquired Sorap, okay, um, the, the platform. So at, at present, we've, we've, we've grown that essentially from a standing start to 177 aircraft um, valued at you know, 4.7 billion, literally from scratch in the last three years. Um, that would probably put us in, roughly speaking, in the top five asset managers in the world by aircraft numbers. And then in addition to that, of course, we have our own aircraft fleet, which, as I say, went from 20 airplanes at the beginning of the pandemic to nearly 130 aircraft today, either owned or under LOI. So essentially, we've gone from 20 airplanes to over 300 airplanes since the start of the pandemic, which is a massive um, amount of growth. And the, the, the combined fleet is valued at just under 7 billion. So that, that again, you know, by certainly by, you know, aircraft numbers and value, et cetera, probably puts us into the top 15 in the world. So, you know, that's, I think it's been a hell of an achievement over the last three years to actually to do that. And um, obviously we're, you know, looking forward to the next five years to, to grow it even further. So that's yeah. basically where we are. Oh, and a great story and a really interesting one, Fred, and, and gives you now a perspective uh, over a large portion of the market, given the size of that fleet. Can you talk to us how you've seen kind of the recovery in air travel evolve, you know, from your customer base over the course of last year? Um, and I'm particularly interested as to what nuances you saw across different geographies. Look, I mean, I think it's certainly the, the two kind of shining spots, for want of a better word, is... Um, like North America, Canada, you know, we've got some quite a bit of business over there. It's performing well, lots of opportunities. We've got you know, anything ranging from American to Lynx to Air Transat, et cetera, in, in our portfolio. So I think it's North America is doing pretty well. Um, the other market that we've been pretty heavily focused on is the Middle East. Um, we've done a between, um, in fact, you know, the acquisition of Sarap and some existing stuff. Like we, we actually grew... grew uh, from zero with Emirates, for example, um, to 14 aircraft, A380s and 777s over the last um, 18 months. So again, we see some very nice opportunities in that part of the world. We've got Qatar Airways, et cetera. So I think Middle East and North America, in my view, would be the, you know, the leading lights. I think um, lagging behind probably would be Europe, Latin America and Asia. I mean, look, I think Asia is largely driven by the Chinese market. I think um, obviously the fact that that was literally shut for the last few years has had a big impact not only on, you know, domestic Chinese airlines, but clearly, you know, the amount of people that travel from China into the region literally shut that off to zero and, you know, surrounding countries such as Thailand, um, Vietnam, Indonesia, these sort of countries would, that would have depended on Chinese traffic have kind of literally down to a trickle. So I think um, with China now opening, 
you know, it's planned, I think it's the 8th of January. In fact, they're saying it's going to open again internationally. So um, I think that's going to have a big impact. And I think it should be the recovery of the Asian market over the next kind of 18 months, which I think is very welcome to not only to lessors, but to, to everybody in that region. So, um, and then, as I say, I think Europe is struggling a bit. I mean, we all know that um, on the verge of recession in various countries. I mean, Latin America, again, we've got quite a bit down there, but, you know, they've gone through the ringer between the TAM, Avianca, you know, a lot of airlines, I think, struggling down there. But again, hopefully, you know, that'll, that'll change over the next couple of years. So, so that, that's really, as I say, my round the world, <laughs> top and save me, for want a better word. Um, and, and maybe then if we move to having a look at the macroeconomic and kind of geopolitical environment then, Fred, um, we're in a time of huge uncertainty. So I guess if you you, th you think of, you know, obviously the Russian challenge that, that's thrown out with an outsized impact on aviation, and then we have challenges across in interest rates, inflation, uh, oil prices, FX. Can you talk to us a little about how those macro challenges are impacting on the business currently and in your planning? Yeah, look, I mean, look, whether it's aviation or any other business, I mean, look, interest rates and inflation have come back, like with the vengeance. I mean, look, we, we went through, I don't know, kind of a golden period of like almost zero interest rates and benign inflation. So obviously, it's, it's, it's come as a bit of a shock to everyone. My God, look, interest rates have, you know, shot up. I mean, you know, spiked, you know, inflation. I think the inflation, certainly in the European market i mean is a, is a lot of it's around the energy crisis you know coming out of the, the russia ukraine situation so you know i probably see a situation where you know interest rates yeah they're around four four and a half to five today but i i probably see over the next couple of years that'll fall back somewhere around settle down around three three and a half percent and i just think we we all need to get used to the fact that it's, it's never going to be or certainly for the foreseeable future we're not going back to zero for sure so you know, people have to kind of sharpen their pencil, adjust their models to, to take that, you know, fact into account. Um, I think certainly oil prices, I mean, you know, as we say, the whole Ukrainian-Russian situation is thrown everything on its head. Um, I, look, who knows how that's going to play out, uh, whether it'll go on for years or whether it'll there'll be a settlement at some point in the next year. Who knows? That's I think that's a big one that we, nobody kind of, really can predict that one. Um, I think, um, you know, the US dollar, I think, uh, is another factor. I mean, it's it's been extremely strong. We almost got to parity. In fact, we did. We got below parity with, with euro at one point fairly recently. It's recovered a little bit, um, the euro against the dollar. But, you know, it's a really important currency, obviously, in the aviation business. I mean, you know, you know the, everything's priced in dollars. You know, you buy in dollars, you lease in dollars. Um, you know, in particular, like the, the the airlines have to pay in dollars. So, you know, it's 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 not easy if you're in a a currency that's you know, and you're kind of a domestic kind of economy, um, to, to kind of pay these <laughs> lease rates and your oil and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, the U.S. dollar, I think, you know, I think will play a big part over the, the coming years as to you know the health of you know. I think marginal airlines will. You know, struggle in my opinion if, if, if it remains as strong as it is. Um, we kind of touched on going around the world earlier, like GDP. I mean, we kind of see US probably mild. Um, I think Europe probably will have a, a more 
deep recession, you know, depending on the country. Um, Asia, I think, obviously with China coming back, which is a big factor, I think, you know, it, it'll be less than it, 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 it traditionally was. Um, but I think, it, you know, long term, I think, you know, across the board, 2 to 3% annual growth, which, you know, if you, if you look at the predictions for, you know, how many airplanes we need over the next 25 years, it's not far off. So I think fundamentally, you know, there will be a good demand for aircraft, you know, notwithstanding the, the kind of the hopefully short-term problems we're having around the world at the moment. So I'd be pretty bullish about, you know, the, 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 the aviation market, you know, if, if you look at a kind of a long-term view of it, I think, you know, people will continue to travel. I think GDP will drive that. And um, I think it, it, we've been through such a, a kind of a, an uncertain period. I mean, obviously we had COVID, which was very tough. And then all of a sudden we lurch into, you know, an inflationary high interest rates, Ukrainian, it just seems to be one problem after the next. But I think eventually that will all sort of <clears throat> straighten out and we'll be back on the straight and narrow, I think in the next two or three years. And can I pick up one of the threads you talked about there, Fred, which is around that interest rate environment. And I think we all knew rate, rate hikes were coming and it was probably the, the speed at which they came um, was probably the, the surprising thing over the course of the back end of 22. Can I ask you how you're seeing that feed into lease rate factors? The, the logical piece is we'd see an, an uptick in lease rate factors. There's always been that slight delay from a timing perspective. So just curious as to how you're seeing that correlation evolve. Well, look, I think it's 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 basically it takes the time for, for, for kind of to, to kind of kick in. But look, obviously, look, if you've gone from zero to four or five percent, and let's say you were you were pricing a I don't know, a lever deal at 10 percent, right? So by definition, you know, you literally have to add on another 5% to, to get to where you were originally. So I think there's definitely a, a kind of a, you know, lease rates in theory really have to increase to, to deal with this. So but now in fairness, I haven't, we haven't really seen that. I think, you know, right across the board, I mean, certainly, you know, I suppose the narrow body, A3, the Neos and the Maxes definitely, you know, they were sort of lease rates that were, you know, in the kind of the 280 to 300 maybe a year ago. And I think definitely they're now in the 330 to 350. So I think definitely that market is kind of adjusted upwards. Um, but I, I think it's going to take a bit of time for the lease rates to increase across the board to reflect the, um, you know, the, the obviously the, the, the increased cost of funds. And, and on that cost of funds side, Fred, um, you, know, you mentioned that the ABS market is one that you guys have played in before. Um, but the capital markets are obviously very sentiment driven um, and we've seen not a lot of activity either on unsecured issuances um, by you know the IG rated lessors and kind of limited activity around the ABS market over the course of 22. Can I get your thoughts on how the capital markets might move going forward in aviation finance? Well, look, I think the, you know, the investment grade sort of you know, big, big, big kind of companies like Aircap and Airlease, et cetera. I mean, you know, they, I think they'll definitely continue to enjoy access to capital markets and finance their order books and acquire aircraft and lease. Um, now, I think certainly the ABS market is, is as good as shut at the moment. Um, on the other hand, look, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting market. I think, um, you know, quite a lot of our competitors are actually geared into that market. So I think, look, as I said earlier, once the, the noise around, say, hopefully Russia, you know, the, the shock of these interest rate hikes 
inflation, et cetera. Well, that, that kind of, we get, either get used to it or, you know, it dies down a bit. I think you'll see the ABS market opening again uh, sooner than we think. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to see it at the moment because it's closed, but I think certainly I'd, I'd see that market reopening. Um, and I think maybe, look, I'm not a complete expert on ABS. I know we did one, but, um, you know, I think probably the product just has to be adjusted a bit to take into account, you know, obviously the higher cost of funds, et cetera. Um, and then, look, I think in the interim, you know, the lessors will look to their aviation banks as normal. I mean, you know, you have obviously the traditional lenders. Um, then, of course, you have the you know, alternative lenders that come into the market. So I think, look, while we definitely saw a slowdown in the, the debt markets in the first, uh, you know, the last six months, particularly around this whole Russian thing, um, I can probably predict that they'll, you know, people get a bit more confident as time goes on and China opens and, you know, and I think that you'll probably see a kind of a more liquid market, certainly on the debt side over the next kind of 12 months. Yeah, I think that's logical. As you say, look, ABS, no one expected to bounce back as strongly as it did in 21. Sentiment turns quickly. Um, and, and once we get that settlement on interest rates, um, you kind of hope we see a return there. Um, and you kind of touched on some of the, the, the non-traditional lenders in the aviation market. Can I, can I shift over on the investor side then, Fred? Right, You mentioned, obviously, Carval have backed you and backed you strongly um, over the last number of years. Can you talk to us a little bit about your perspectives of the types of investors we've seen being attracted to aviation finance and whether we've seen any kind of interesting trends on those coming or going from the space over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I sometimes think of it like a, a football match. I mean, you know, sometimes you, you, players go on the pitch and sometimes players go off the pitch, right? And I think we've certainly seen quite a bit of that in the last year, whether it's Goshawk, ACMK, um, like we bought Sorap, for example. So I think you're seeing, you know, there's rumor about um, Alafco, um, et cetera. So I think you're seeing some people getting out, getting off the pitch, either through M&A or just getting out of the business. But equally, you're seeing new people coming into the market, like High Ridge, for example. Um, you know, you're definitely seeing, you know, new players coming into it. Um, I think it's, it's like, it's certainly always of interest to big players to be in the aviation, whether it's for diversification reasons or whatever. But I think um, certainly, I think there'll always be activity and new players coming to the market, um, whether it's private equity, insurance, you know, these type of player, players. Um, now, I think on the other hand, you know, tax investors, I mean, like JALs, JALCOs, all that kind of stuff. I think you've probably seen that a few people got hurt in that, you know, the most, in the recent kind of downturn. Um, or whether our COVID related stuff. So, you know, and really the, particularly the Japanese, I think they're focusing on only like really top tier credits. So I think that that market's definitely slowed down a bit um, and it's only time will tell if it comes back. And, and the, I suppose the competitive element then, interesting your thoughts around aircraft as an asset class and, and how, that has evolved. I mean, pre-COVID, I think there was a clear maturing of aviation finance as a general, you know, as a general asset class and its attractiveness to lots of different types of investors, you know, has taken, you know, an outsized hit on COVID, an outsized hit on Russia, but on the flip side, shown an awful lot of resilience, both in aviation finance and the sector more generally. Your thoughts on how aircraft compare to other asset classes in attracting investors? Look, I think, um, Look, an aircraft, you know, leasing deal in particular, it's relatively stable, 
predictable values, you know, generally reasonably strong current yields and cash flows. Um, look, the fairly controlled supply and demand. I mean, look, I don't know what exactly the number is, but there's, there's only around 25,000 or, or a bit more actually uh, commercial jets out there. So it's quite easy to sort of see, you, you know, to get the, as I say, the controlled supply demand situation. Um, now, on the other hand, they're kind of a liquid compared to bonds and equity, but um, but on the other hand, positive, it's a mobile asset compared to, say, a real estate deal. Um, you know, if something bombs in one sort of market, you can fly the plane to another market. So I think that's always been the case with, with aircraft leasing. Um, but on, on the other hand, look, it, as you touched on earlier, like it's, it is cyclical. Um, you know, it, you know, we had the, as I say, the, everything thrown at us in the last few years between COVID and, you know, the, the recent Russian situation. Um, but I think it's a lot more resilient than it used to be. I, I can remember, I must be going back, giving my age away here now, <laughs> but going back 25 years, I mean, I think it was at the outbreak of the first Gulf War, there was, you know, the, the top 10 lessors um, at the time, um, every one of them failed apart from ILFC. That included like the likes of GPA, Electra, et cetera. So, you, you know, it's very interesting to see uh, having gone into this particular sort of COVID, et cetera, downturn, that literally no lessor failed, which I think is amazing. And it, and it just shows how the, the model has adapted. You're probably seeing, you know, certainly the top lessors and top 20, all of very strong shareholders in the background. And, you know, they were able to withstand what was, you know, if, if the same model was 20 years ago, that you know, you would have seen a mass amount of failure. So I think it's a, it, it's a very resilient model now these days, the, the lessor model. And, and maybe keeping with that theme on the lessor model, Fred, um, you know, we have seen an increase in the popularity of leasing post-COVID. We've seen the importance that lessors played in keeping a lot of airlines alive, right, from deferral arrangements um, and working closely with their airline customers, you know, in, in navigating solutions while we worked our way through the crisis. We've seen the 50% threshold breached on the leasing side. Um, your thoughts on does that trend line continue over the medium term? It always has, but just interested. Do you think it's it's you know continuing to go that way? And has the pandemic given rise to a kind of sustainable step change in the importance of the leasing channel? Look, as I just said, look, it, it's been incredibly re resilient. The the lessor market. I mean, as I say, no failures through a particularly nasty downturn. So I think it's look, it's fundamental and growing for the, you know, in terms of aircraft financing. As you said, it's, it's over 50% today. And I think I can certainly see that trend continuing upwards towards the 60%. Um, so, you know, I think we're here to stay. I mean, you know, when I joined GPA in 1985, the, the market was, it was 3% less ours. So it's incredible that kind of, you know, whatever it is, 30 years later, it's, um, it's, it's, it's heading towards 60%. So it's, it's absolutely critical part of, financing for the next 25 years. I mean, I think if I'm correct, I think somebody told me it's a $6 trillion market, <laughs> you know, between, you know, growth and retirements for the amount of aircraft that's needed. So it's, it's just an absolutely massive market. And as I say, look, if it's 60%, well, um, you know, lessors are going to have to finance about $4 trillion worth of aircraft, which is hard to get your head around, really. <laughs> 
And and your thoughts then just on that on the space, you touched on some of the consolidation points, right? Where we've seen, as you say, the AMCK acquisition, the Goshawk acquisition, some other things that are probably, you know, in the rumor mill that, that may or may not happen over the coming months. Do you expect we'll see more consolidation? And you think that if so, might be driven by the importance of scale. Scale is always important in any type of sector or business, but there's some thought out there that maybe scale is becoming even more important. And, you know, on a platform like yourself who scales significantly, just interested in your thoughts on those two questions. Look, I mean, clearly, you know, the, the AirCap, um, you know, acquisition of GCAS has put them like so far ahead of the next, the, uh, behind them in terms of the top 10. So I think, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you've seen Goshawk, you know, you know, I, I think that definitely I can see, you know, more and more m in the, in, in the sector. Um, possibly you could see the Chinese playing certainly, le um, you know, less of a role outside of China. I mean, they used to be wanting to go all around the world, but I think, you know, my kind of radar tells me that, you know, that the Chinese are probably kind of pull back a bit and, and concentrate more on their domestic sort of activities rather than, you know, trying to take over the world. So I think that I'll see, I can see that happening. Um, you know, if you're less than a hundred aircraft fleet, you know, I could see, you know, you possibly merging with another similar size company or getting acquired. Um, but I don't see um, at, at the very top and i.e. the top five, any kind of meaningful merger going forward. I think most of that big activities kind of happened. Yeah. No, I and think I... look, just you, like you, you actually touched on like the, you know, the importance of scale now. I mean, that, that can be anything from negotiating with airlines, um, OEMs, et cetera, um, you know, getting, you know, economies of scale um, and also things like bankruptcies and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, look at, look, Russia, you know, you know, 150 airplanes or thereabouts got caught up in that maelstrom. And, um, you know, the, the lessors, you know, they've taken the write downs, but they've been able to kind of take the hit now. And we do, we see how the insurance thing plays out over time. But I thought that was another very interesting kind of thing that it, it didn't bring down, you know, any particular lessor. And again, showing the resilience of the, of, of, of the model these days. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, Fred. It does speak to, as you say, that that theme of resilience and, and again, like buffering the attractiveness of the sector that it can take what are what would have been once in a generation hits that, that seem to be coming now with alarming regularity. Um, can, can we move a little bit onto the fleet side, Fred, right, to 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 get your thoughts? Um, you guys have grown the portfolio, as we talked about, very significantly over recent years. Can you talk to us about your thoughts on, on the assets you have sought to invest in and the thinking behind those assets? Look, I guess there's, there's, there's three buckets that we kind of have in, in Ergo. You know, I think the biggest bucket is obviously the, you know, the narrow bodies, like obviously A320s, um, Maxes, NGs. So we're, that, that's probably the biggest part of our portfolio. Um, on the other hand, we've seen in the wide body space, some interesting transactions, as I said earlier, we did an A380, we did, well, we're up to like 14 A380s and 777s with, with Emirates. We've got A350s, 787s with, on long-term lease with Singapore Airlines. We've done quite a bit with um, IAG Group um, around the A330 product. So, you know, we're, we're slightly, and then we, we reasonably sizable turboprop fleet. We've around, I think, 40 plus. Um, of the turboprops and so 
I suppose we're fairly agnostic to aircraft type. We're very opportunistic. And, you know, I guess it's the same old kind of rules. We, we, we try and buy a good quality asset, you know, long, long kind of leases with, with decent credits if you can achieve the holy grail around that. Um, so we wouldn't be sort of, I mean, some of our competitors say, well, look, we're only buying zero to eight-year-old aircraft, for example, whereas we, we just tend to look across the spectrum and essentially try and find value. Um, I don't see us ever been a, having an order book um, or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's, we're not really set up for that. But um, so, you know, I guess it's, it's, you could really kind of summarize Ergo as being very, you know, opportunistic, really. Um, but again, look, going forward, as I say, we're edging towards 7 billion assets under management, owned or, or under management. Um, so I just expect the kind of that trend to continue, and, but it'll be pretty much um, opportunistic. And I suppose the only thing I could say is that we'd like to think that there'll be larger deals. I mean, the, old, the, old, the good old days of doing onesies, twosies, you know, with, with the growth expectations that we have from our shareholders now, I think we need to start you know, doing essentially bigger deals um, to kind of keep it going and to, to kind of move the dial a bit in terms of growth. Fred, that probably brings us very naturally on to the trading market, right? You know, and having these conversations, um, you know, the view of some would be that we're in a kind of dysfunctional trading environment where, you know, we've had OEM delays that fed into probably some of the larger, you know, lessors mm -hmm. being slower to divest um, and, and therefore that kind of secondary market has just been a bit clogged. And then obviously the, the challenges with interest rates and pricing, you know, has, has thrown a bit more uncertainty in there. You guys have been very acquisition heavy over the last couple of years. Can I get your take on where the trading environment sits and where you'd like to see it evolve over the near term? But I think it'd be fair to say that, you know, if, if you go look back to the start of the pandemic, I mean, there was so much activity pre-pandemic in terms of, you know, things like lessors trading with each other and et cetera. But I think um, you could almost say for two years, the market just, nobody was trading because it was just such a very difficult environment. Um, so I think that, you know, it's only in kind of recent, I would say, you know, the last six, certainly 2022 probably, you know, you, you started seeing a reasonably active trading market. I mean, we, we do a hell of a lot in the, the kind of, you know, lessor to lessor type space. Um, so I think that that, that certainly is sh showing, you know, green shoots. I think that, you know, the other kind of, I, I suppose, call it trading, whatever you want, but like people um, selling aircraft into ABSs, that's kind of been dead. Um, as I, I would, I'd see that coming back. And there, therefore you'll see more trading into those types of structures. Um, so I think that I can see definitely, um, you know, like like any decent lessor, you, you, not, not only do you have to sort of be buying stuff, but you also need to be selling stuff to make your numbers. So I think that certainly, you know, the environment, I think over the next 18 months, we'll probably see, a, you know, a lot more trading compared to, you know, the last few years. And Fred, then just to get your thoughts on asset values, because on the one hand, we're in an inflationary environment with you know, demand for metal based off the kind of OEM challenges we've had and, and roll off of new aircraft. And on the counter to that, there's probably, you know, lease encumbered assets in a heightened interest rate environment. Just very interested on your perspectives of how you've seen asset values move or not recently. Yeah, look, I think, look, the, the, as we all know, the, the, the manufacturers, there's been kind of quite severe delays in that department. I think, um, secondly, I think, you know, you're going to see, 
um, in fact, I think we're heading towards a shortage of aircraft over the, the coming years. I think, you know, particularly as traffic comes roaring back, you know, from places like such as China. So I think that, interesting enough, um, intuitively you would have thought, well, you know, the, 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 there might be a surplus of aircraft, but I think over the next two or three years, you're probably going to see a shortage. And therefore, I think values will, will go back up in aircraft, and I think lease rates will go up. So I think I can see a situation where fairly quickly um, asset values are going to, you know, require, you know, recover quite substantially. Yeah, no, I, I, I can follow that logic entirely, right? Um, it can, just quickly on OEMs, Fred, and I know it's not, you know, and you guys haven't got an order book and you've said it's not an area you particularly want to go down on. Um, but just your thoughts around, um, your thoughts around the relationship between lessors and OEMs more generally. Do you think they have, you know, the lessors increased importance to OEMs? And while you mightn't do it, do you see more lessors trying to get down the route of an order book? I appreciate the challenges that are there given the, the current order books that are in place. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, as we touched on earlier, we're, we're kind of thinking 60% of the, you know, the future production is going to be gobbled up by lessors. So it's, it's, it's absolutely critical, the relationship between, you know, the big lessors and maybe people with order books and the, and, the, and, and the, the OEM. So I think, if anything, I think it's going to become even more critical, the, the relationship between the big OEMs and, and the lessors. Um, but look, it, 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 it's frustrating, I think, for a lot of whether it's like we don't have an order book, but I mean, we've had, for example, you know, aircraft in maintenance or, you know, you buy a naked aircraft or whatever. It's just mind, you know, blowingly slow getting the planes back out because of supply chain issues. So it's, it's really slowed down. You know, for example, we bought those 20 Q400s out of Flyby and it's taken a lot longer than we thought to get them fixed up, mainly due to kind of a supply chain issues, as I mentioned, and secondly, um, getting people to work the production line. So it, it's a real problem, if you ask me, the whole, um, you, you know, the, the supply of getting aircraft, you know, back out up into the air because of these kind of, you know, people and supply chain issues. Yeah, and, and one that's probably going like to, I mentioned your point on trading and hopefully coming back in a real way this year, it's just going to be a challenge, isn't it? Uh, and one that we see continue. Um, Fred, lots of great thoughts and insights there. Just, just in closing, as you're looking out over you know, the rest of this year, what are, your, what are your optimism levels like? We talked about lots of opportunities there, but still a significant degree of uncertainty and challenge. What are your optimism levels like looking out? I think, look, um, I think, as I said earlier, I think we're probably heading on into a shortage of aircraft. So that should help lease rates and asset values. Um, I think, look, China coming back into the, the fray, very important, particularly for the Asian market. Um, you know, I think the whole Russian-Ukrainian thing, I think is a big elephant in the room. Who knows how, how that's going to go? But if, we'd give, if I was to give you an out of 10, I'd say I'm, I'm a seven out of 10 in terms of optimism. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to assume that's on the high end, seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would be. Uh, Fred, listen, uh, as always, I'd like to thank you for your insights. And on behalf of KPMG and Ireland Economics, uh, wish you and Ergo a very successful 2023. Thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate it.